This is a podcast from the Refugee Study Centre. To learn more about our work, please visit www.rsc.ox.ac.uk. Thank you for coming. I'm sorry my English language is not good enough. First, I'd like to talk about myself and then about to talk about my Arabic calligraphy. My name is Benham. I'm from Iraq. I used to be headmaster of Catholic primary school in my home city, Nineveh. Then after that, I study Arabic calligraphy as a part-time and I be and, and a calligrapher and calligraphy teacher. Thank you for listening. Arabic language start from from this side to this side. English language start from this side to this side. Now this is my name. And if I like, now I, I like to speak in my, in my own language. I'm sorry for that. If I want to talk about the Arabic, the الخط العربي يختلف عن الكتابة العربية الخط العربي هو فن فن راقي من الفنون العربية واكب الحضارة العربية وتطور معها على مر العصور الخط العربي هو فن أصيل يختلف عن الكتابة الاعتيادية تمام الاختلاف وهو عدة أنواع الآن أنا بالنسبة لي أكتب أختار المواضيع مالتي أو أختار اللوحات مالتي اللي راح أكتبها واللي راح أخطها الآن ومستقبلا من الكتاب المقدس ومن الإنجيل المقدس ومن القرآن الكريم وبعض من أقوال الفلاسفة والشعراء الآن لضيق الوقت سأبدأ بأنواع الخط العربي فقط الباحثين والخطاطين قسموا الخط العربي إلى قسمين قسم الأول الخطوط اليابسة اللي يشمل الخط الكوفي بأنواعه الخمسة واسمه الخط الكوفي كونه نشأ أو بدأ من الكوفة المدينة العراقية المقدسة المتميزة النوع الثاني هو الخطوط اللينة اللي تشمل أكثر من ثمانية أنواع من الخطوط الآن راح أبدأ بأنواع الخط الكوفي بعد إذن راح أسترسل بأنواع الخطوط الأخرى النوع الأول من الخط هو الخط من الخطوط الكوفية هو الخط الكوفي المربع هذا النوع نسميه إحنا الخطاطين الخط الكوفي المربع هون النص هذا دعاء blessing اللهم لا أسألك رد القضاء بل أسألك اللطف فيه 
هذا دعاء من القرآن الكريم النوع الثاني من الخط الكوفي هو الخط الكوفي القديم هذا أقدم أنواع الخط الكوفي النص يقول أو الآية تقول بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم مع زاوية زخرفية هذه نسميها الزخرفة العربية هذا نوع خاص من الـ من الـ من الارت تختص بالدول العربيه النوع الثالث هو الخط الكوفي المظفور الظفيره معناها العقده هذه اللي اللي الفتيات سووها بالشعر مالتهم بالعربي نسميها الظفيره وهذه هي الظفائر هون الايه تقول بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم مع نصف زاوية زخرفية أو نصف فريم زخرفي النوع الآخر من الخط الكوفي والنوع الأخير هو الكوفي الدائري أو النصف دائري half circle or full circle مع نصف دائرة زخرفية هون النص يقول وكان فضل الله عليك عظيما مع تاج زخرفي مظفور هذه أيضا آية من القرآن الكريم الآن نأتي على الخطوط اللينة النوع الأول وأسهل أنواع الخطوط اللي أنا من أدرس طلابي أبدأ بهذا النوع من الخط لأنه أسهل أنواع الخطوط هذا نسميه خط الرقعة خط الرقعة مع زاويتين زخرفيتين مع قلب بالنص يعني هارد قلب بالوسط النص يقول قلبا نقيا أخلق فيه يا الله هذه من الكتاب المقدس من العهد القديم آية من العهد القديم في خط الرقعة اللي هو أسهل أنواع الخطوط الخط اللي أصعب اللي يجي بعده النوع الثاني من الخطوط العربية الخط الديواني اسمه الخط الديواني النص يقول أن تحب الرب إلهك من كل قلبك أيضا هذه آية من الكتاب المقدس العهد القديم وطبعا أنا أختار الألوان حسب حسب ذوقي وحسب النص اللي راح أكتبه النوع الثالث من الخط العربي هو خط القرآن الكريم نسميه خط النسخ هذا يسموه خط النسخ وهون النص يقول النجاة في السطر هذه وزدم حكمة هذه حكمة أو قول من أقوال أحد الفلاسفة الكبار مع أيضا إطار أو نصف إطار زخرفي هذا نوع آخر من أنواع خط النسخ في آية أخرى وفي تكوين آخر وفي نموذج آخر هون النص يقول أكرم أباك وأمك أكرم أباك وأمك هذه الآية ذكرت 
في الكتاب المقدس في الإنجيل وذكرت بنوع آخر في القرآن الكريم النوع الرابع من الخطوط احنا العرب نسميه خط التعليق بينما اخواننا الايرانيين يسموه الخط الفارسي العرب يسموه خط التعليق اما اخواننا الايرانيين فيسموه الخط الفارسي هون النص يقول توكلت على الله ايضا حكمه من الحكم ويزدم توكلت على الله تصميم آخر أو تكوين آخر تصميم آخر أو تكوين آخر من خط التعليق أو الخط الفارسي هون بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم مع فريم زخرفي متكامل مع فريم زخرفي متكامل أصعب الخطوط هو خط الثلث أصعب الخطوط هو هذا خط الثلث اللي تتشابك به الحروف وتتداخل مع بعضها بحيث يصعب قراءته هون النص يقول إن كان الله معنا فمن علينا إن كان الله وإن كان الله معنا فمن علينا هذه أيضا حكمة من أحد الحكماء يعني وزدم تشكيل آخر أو نوع آخر أو تكوين آخر من خط الثلث أيضا هون النص يقول قلبا نقيا أخلق فيه يا الله مع تداخل وتشابك بالحروف والكلمات أيضا هذه آية من الكتاب المقدس العهد القديم نوع آخر من خط الثلث مع زاويتين زخرفيتين أيضا النص يقول هون الحمد لله وحده هذه آية من القرآن الكريم الحمد لله وحده نوع آخر من الخط أيضا يعتبر من الخطوط الصعبة خط الجلي خط هذا يسموه العراقيين والعرب يسموه خط الجلي هون النص يقول الحمد لله رب العالمين النص يقول الحمد لله رب العالمين بليسنج أعتقد هي من القرآن الكريم أو موجودة أيضا بالكتاب المقدس أصعب أنواع الخطوط هو خط الطغراء أصعب أنواع الخطوط هو خط الطغراء هذا الخط وجد ونشأ أيام الدولة العثمانية قبل حوالي 400 سنة أو أكثر حوالي 500 سنة نشأ هناك كانوا سلاطين العثمان يستعملوا في تواقيعهم وفي أختامهم على المراسلات بينهم وبين بقية الدول الأخرى هذا الخط يعتبر أصعب أنواع الخطوط والنص يقول بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم هذه الأنواع هاي حوالي 14 نوع من الخط العربي 
هناك أنواع أخرى غير مستعملة أو قليل الاستعمال مثل الخط الحر والخط السنبلي والخط التاجي التاجي التاج يعني كراون بالإنجليزي التاج يعني فوق كل حرف يرسمون شكل تاج هون بعد أن تكلمت عن الخط العربي لابد لي أن أتكلم عن الزخرفة العربية الزخرفة العربية نشأت أو وجدت أو استعملت في القرن التاسع الميلادي وكانت تستعمل في تزيين القصور والأماكن العامة ودور العبادة كالكنائس والجوامع ودور العبادة الأخرى بعدين استعملت في الخط العربي لزيادة جماليته وأعرض نوعين من الزخرفة هذا النوع الأول وهذا النوع الثاني وهذا الشكل الثاني وشكرا لسماعكم وشكرا لحضوركم إذا myself okay <laughs> um, my name is Mugita uh, Fikaru I'm originally born in Australia grew up in, I moved to Cuba when I was very young boy eight when I was eight years old and uh, uh, I grew up there do my study there uh, had my life I lived for 29 years in Cuba <laughs> and then I back after yeah, many years, these all years, I back to decide back to my original country to to give my my dream. I mean, my dream was to go back and serve to the people there, but unfortunately, it didn't was. Uh, didn't come through my dream. I had many problems with the government and cultural conflict, language conflict, and then I've uh, been in prison for three months. I was lucky. I escaped from that place. I'm here. Um, here for 15, 2008. Uh, well, I'm still waiting the the famous uh, permission to live here, and yeah, I'm here. I decide to to do this performance and and lecture. I mean, and silent because I feel myself in that way uh, for one reason or another reason. And I see many people, I know many people, I met many people, refugees uh, in this country in the same in the same way to me. And I don't want to talk about my my study, then I prefer to do it in silence because I feel uh, in that way can go through to the people for the curiosity of uh, the silence. 
yeah, I seen that powerful way to to show the people that uh, still we are here. Yeah, many people not here in the, all the world and because of immigration. Yeah, uh, I'm fighting with that. Um, I'm glad to. To, to meet the silent university to express myself the pain I had inside and and uh, give uh, the little knowledge I had to 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 the people yeah that is me thank you very much for giving me this chance to stay here through the law, through the practices of immigration and asylum, um, but also through racism, through nationalism, and a host of other ways in which people are not, um, are, in which people are not uh, enabled to participate. But equally, I think, the ways in which people insist on belonging and make new communities and new networks and new ways of belonging um, I'm looking forward to hearing about that too. So um, I feel a bit bad after the last presentation. I'm going to be I'm talking about silencing, but actually there are five speakers here, and each person has five minutes. Uh, and in order to be fair to everyone and then to enable um, discussion, I'm going to give you a note after one minute. Uh, after when you've got one minute left. Uh, and ask you please to keep to time. Um, and I think the best way is if also um, each person could, just before they begin their presentation, introduce themselves. So uh, I'm going to start with Geraldine, if I may. Geraldine, thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to be here. And thank you so much to Ahmed for the service university. I'm Geraldine, I'm from Zimbabwe, I'm an asylum seeker. I've been in limbo for a long while, and there are so many people who are out there, and I feel that I, I can be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. And uh, being part of the Silent University gives us that opportunity for ourselves to speak up, although we do our, our lectures in silence, but those people who give their time, they are in a position to find out what really goes on with ourselves, the, the hardships that we have to go through from the time we, we arrive in this country. We come to this country because we are fleeing persecution from our countries. Many people who are asylum seekers and refugees have come here because they wanted to come here. They came here because of reasons best known to themselves. And I'm not on my own. I've met so many people that are in the community that I call my own community, these asylum seekers and refugees. That's where we feel we can speak up. That's the only community where sometimes we feel like you are yourself. Because in the other communities, you have to pretend that everything is fine, that we are all the same. But in real terms, we are not. Thank you.
us all to participate in a round table discussion today. But uh, it's not a round table here. It's not equal. It's equal, no? I'm from Sri Lanka, I'm a journalist. Uh, this is the second time I'm living in exile. Uh, I've, been, I've been living in exile in 2000 to 2002. And as soon as the situation changed, I went to Sri Lanka and given up everything, my status, everything. I, even, I never even come to transit to UK to keep my status. Uh, that means this uh, ILR indefinitely leave to remain. After 10 years, I had to come again to UK. And now I'm living here for, I've been living here for five years, uh, nearly five years. Uh, I'm a journalist and researcher, freedom of uh, expression activist, and artist. Now, uh, the editor of the band website in Sri Lanka, it's called Karam Telegraph. It's band in Sri Lanka. It's the only uh, website, the Guardian editorial approved that as an ethical website in Sri Lanka. It's in Guardian Selective. Anyone can go and see. Um, I've been involving this. Uh, Silent University from the beginning and we are exploring what is silent mean to everyone, especially for the professionals from their own countries, those who can't work here. I, I know I have I I can give nearly 30 personal stories about professionals, suicide stories, how they fail, they can't work, they always think, I was there as a GP, I was there as a professor, now who am I, am I here? They can't work here. So there are a lot of uh, issues, uh, uh, but uh, what I found with this silent university project is there are three categories from the asylum seekers, uh, those who can work here, and professionals. I think uh, this project uh, is still uh, exploring uh, the avenues to, uh, I don't know, to explain uh, ex still exploring a way to express and work and recognition for professionals. That is the main issue. If you read Guardian, if you just Google uh, uh, this uh, professionals, uh, professional asylum seekers, you will find a lot of articles especially in upmarket newspapers like Guardian and even in uh, Independent uh, Telegraph, right? Guardian articles 
you can see they are, they are doctors, lawyers, engineers, constructors, journalists, anybody. They are working in low wages and there are a lot of suicide cases. Because they can't work in this country, they need to get certain qualifications, they can't enter university, no recognition. So I think this project means a lot too. If we can spread word about uh, within the professionals, at least, I'm not talking about the entire uh, asylum seeker, so refugee population. If we focus on the professionals, this project is lot to them, uh, mean lot. And also, there's a lot of myths about uh, refugees and asylum seekers. If you look at the, the, the for instance, it's a benefit. They, they, say they, they, they come to UK for claim benefit, right? But if you, if you read uh, government statistics, 64% UK families have some sort of benefit. Right? Only 0.8 is fraud benefit claims. But this uh, now with the European uh, this election, UKIP and Nigel's arguments, or if you look at the everything, it's not true. Uh, because this all against uh, asylum seekers. Colored people. I have my own experience. In, the, for instance, uh, I was as soon as I came to UK in uh, 2009 for the second time. I was uh, in front of uh, Hammersmith Broadway. The police approached me and asked me, "How are you, sir?" I'm fine, how are you? Where are you from, sir? I said, I'm from uh, Wood Creek. I live there, right? <laughs> Any identification, sir? I gave my identification. Don't lie, sir, you are from Sri Lanka. <laughs> I said, yes, I born Sri Lanka, but I'm from uh, Wood Creek. I'm sitting here. How are you? How did you come here? Fly, boat, swimming, lorry, ship, you know? This police asked me. I have, I wrote everything here and even in a lot of newspapers including Guardian. I wrote this story. And they detailed me, this is clearly, then uh, I, uh, they gave me a receipt. It says all my biological data was there. Height, color, everything. Right? And he said, the gentleman was standing outside the Hammersmith Broadway, welfare check conducted. Is that a reason for checking? This is clearly racism. So, what I want to establish is, is uh, 
this silent university project, um, through that project, we had the uh, <coughs> opportunity to exchange our uh, experience and also avenues, a lot of people's, uh, because some people are silent, you know. For, for instance, that, that time, I wanted to go to course because of this race is uh, tricky. But my lawyer told, solicitor told, oh, this guy has a lot of problems, don't go to course. Right? So we don't uh, practice our rights. So I think um, this is uh, good to good experience for exchange our experiences with the academic world, you know, this, uh, at least for professionals from their countries. Thank you. Okay, good afternoon. Um, my name is Carlos Cruz. I'm from Colombia. been living in the UK for almost 23 years now. And uh, I was a um, teacher and a geologist in my original house. Uh, but I had to start from zero when I came here in 1991 and do whatever job was available for, uh, for someone who was just playing uh, the country. I now work for um, Unite the Union which is uh, one of the biggest uh, trade unions in the UK. And uh, I am coordinating the workers' uh, uh, education, uh, workers and migrant education project. Um, which is um, uh, an education program for migrant workers, but also for native people who are really in need of uh, learning. Not only English, but also IT, drama, art, maths, etc., etc. Well, uh, before I, I continue, I just want to uh, thank um, all the team of Science University. I want to um, congratulate everyone, and I want to thank uh, all the people who made this possible and the visible project. Thank you very much, because I think this uh, science university is not just a project. I think a science university is a wider idea who is going beyond, is a, a universal idea of raise the voice and make noise. You can see from what my colleague just presented, the black or colorful, I would call that the colorful science, which is really important. Because that is the way that you feel when you came to the country and you feel excluded, and you feel discriminated, and you feel that you are a second-class citizen. That is the way. You, you perhaps, you're making a lot of questions why the, the science was there. What is going on? What is, what, what is wrong with this? What, what, what is happening? Why the man is not talking? 
why there's nothing written in, in the slide? Because this is a rebellious way to say, here we are. And this science could be more active and productive than any other science. The science as, as, as it is uh, defined in the dictionary, that maybe someone who can speak, is uh, being silenced because he wants, or someone who is silenced because just that is the norm, this is more than a passive silence is an, an active silence. But uh, I just want to point out two things. My lesson, and I hear some of you, I can't remember exactly who, but someone mentioned the neoliberalism as one of the um, causes of what's going on. I have written a, 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 an article in this book as well, which is called uh, Migration and Neoliberalism. And the way the diaspora that you can see nowadays, playing the countries, looking for the industrialized countries, to separate. It has not been like that before. Yes, migration been happening from the uh, beginning of, of time, from the beginning of, of human beings, but not in the way that is now. It's a massive way. It's and the world. It's a false way. No migration, not voluntary migration. It's a post-migration. Because there is no opportunities over there, because there is no democracy over there, because there is no equalities over there, no opportunities and no basic, fundamental human rights. And that is why uh, people are leaving the countries. Now, where they go? Where they go? They are living in a country who other people say that is poor. But if you look around, in Latin America, Africa, Asia, these countries where the people are trying to, to uh, even risking their lives, and you see in Lampedusa uh, some time ago, so many people died there, it's risking their lives to cross the, uh, the sea. And why the people, when they are rich, and this land is not actually so poor as, as people used to say. People is poor and that's a different thing. People is poor but the soul, the land is very rich. There's a lot of natural resources, there's mining, and you can see now neoliberalism through the um, um, trade um, agreements are going there extracting resources, bringing them there, and that's why now when you see the crisis in here, that crisis which started start about 30, 40 years ago, maybe more, 40 years when the Chile cup, when Pinochet came to power and becomes the laboratory to, to uh, uh, see how neoliberalism could function. And it was functional, yes. It was functional to the violence because there was no another, another way to do it. Anyway, you can't find 
Mm, thousands and thousands of exiles, thousands of disappeared people, thousands of untouched people, and no future for them. And that is going on now, at least not just in Chile. Did this model spread across the Latin America, but across the world as well? And now the all industrialized countries, the countries who is folded there and trying to make profit for that are are taking the same medicine. And you can see the crisis now. You can see the crisis. And well, I want to come back to the, to, to, to the main issue of violence. It's just one minute. Okay, thank you. Um, silence is not just the silence per se. Silence is something that is constitutionally legalized. Making people be silenced through legislation. You see the legislation, migration legislation, is nobody can actually speak out against that. Otherwise, they run the risk to be deported, or they run the risk to lose the job, or they run the risk and they even don't risk to join uh, the trade union because they think that they're going to lose the job because of that. So, uh, thank you very much for this, and we will have the opportunity to discuss this a little bit more longer and more detail. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Um, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Afke. I'm Dutch from the Netherlands, and uh, I... Uh, I've heard about the Sali University for the first time in, in Albania um, when someone, a girl called uh, Tatiana, was giving a talk about him. And then a few months later, I ran into Ahmad on a plane, and he convinced me to donate hours to the Time Bank. So here I am. Uh, and this is great. I am, and I'm mentioning the Albania thing because I think it's great that I, hear, I heard about it because someone was, who's not even here who heard about it gave a presentation on it on a conference. Um, I am, um, I'm, I'm currently writing my PhD thesis on the history of immigration law. And uh, it is kind of an ambitious project in, in which I'm trying to ex explain why when people in, say, 1823 entered another country, they were just checked for diseases and um, then admitted to the country. And the only thing that you kind of had to prove back then was that you were able to work. If you're not able to work, you're going to be poor. We don't want any more poor people. Then you can go home again. And then 100 years later, suddenly in 1923, um, kind of worldwide, actually, suddenly the fact that you come to work is a really big problem and means that you... You cannot enter the country anymore. So apparently, in the course of a hundred years, the well, I would say the entire interpretation of what a person is coming to do in your country and supposed to come and do in your country has changed entirely. And and I, I wanted to know why. And I think I I was I was trying to turn this into a political project because I thought that if I could solve this puzzle, I could also come up with a solution of the the problem today. Anyway. This is what I started doing. I, I wanted to read, make, yeah, create a political project that would 
design the, the next migration law in a way that would become more fair, more effective, more, yeah, more humane, basically. Um, and I, I talk about my project all the time. This is my job. This, I've been doing this for the last four years. I've lived in lots of different countries. I've talked about this project. But since I heard that I was going to talk here, I just, it was just the hardest one because suddenly, and the, I, I, I'm, I'm in front of you guys. So I, I think about this all the time. In my head, I, I theorize, I come up with lots of abstract solutions, what we can do with really big groups of people in the future to make migration more efficient and humane. But I, I found out that I cannot say any of these things in front of someone who is actually in this position. So. I'm going to try and be really brave and say at least one of my conclusions, but it is, it, it is really good to, to be confronted with this situation because it is so easy to, to, to come up with policy recommendations when forgetting about the people that are actually on the playing field. And, and I wanted to say I'm, I'm on your side. The reason I'm doing this is because I... I, I don't think you can let anybody live on a, in a place without allowing them to work. This is everybody needs to eat. This is you know, it's inhumane to do that. You you can't subject anybody to a a, a year long endless procedure without showing them the end of it. So I. I think the situation as it is now has to change. And well, one of the solutions that I came up with, and you have to understand, of course, I could have spent a week talking about this, but I'm just going to describe it as, as, as short as possible, is I think what, what the reality of the world shows is that we, we are kind of in need of something as a gradual citizenship. A, and this is really painful to say because I just heard someone say, I feel like a, a secondary citizen, and this is kind of what I am proposing. But what I'm proposing is that instead of saying that everyone is equal, but in fact they're not, so there's this really huge group of people that don't have any rights and don't have anything to say, I would propose that you actually create a legal gradual citizenship in which people can enter, and they don't have actually all the rights that the people who've lived there for generations have, but they have rights, and they are described, and they are open, and they are honest. Um, and I think I'm in, in favor of describing the reality and policy as it is, rather than describing a lie in policy and then letting lots of people live outside of, the rea of that legal status. Um, so that's my, that's my biggest contribution for today, and uh, I'll leave it to that. Thank you. Hello, my name is uh, Karin Varingo. I'm a political scientist. Um, I'm quite new with the uh, Science University. I'm uh, coming from France uh, now, but uh, I'm answering the same way like you. Uh, originally, I'm from uh, Luxembourg, actually, and uh, I've been living in uh, France since, um, I think, uh, eight or nine years. Uh, and I'm unemployed since almost seven years. And I came to the Science University because I spoke with someone in my city, which is uh, actually uh, Montreuil, as uh, one of the campuses of the Silent University, about uh, my personal situation, the fact of uh, being unable to find a job in France. 
I do not know whether I should talk so much about my situation because I'm nevertheless a privileged uh, foreigner. I'm coming from a neighboring country. I had my education uh, partly in, Fra in uh, French. I even I won prizes uh, for my knowledge of the French language. <laughs> nevertheless, it's completely impossible for me to, to find a job. I'm actually I'm overqualified. I've got a PhD from a German university, but uh, France does not recognize a foreign uh, diploma. Well, but still, I'm overqualified. I cannot study in France because I'm overqualified. Um, uh, there are, in France, in general, uh, one-third of the employments are closed to foreigners. And uh, now France, of course, so they have to adopt uh, the directives on uh, free movement within the European uh, Union, so officially the, uh, most of the employments are open to, to EU citizens, which is not true for all the uh, employments. For instance, uh, I've been working on the migration and uh, refugee issues for many years, while also uh, in relation with my situation. So you started to become interested in what uh, in the situation of other people, which is much worse. I applied for a position as a UNHCR consultant with the French Asylum Court. <coughs> But unfortunately, these positions are uh, reserved for French citizens. So my uh, application was rejected, and I have even no place uh, where I can complain about it, uh, because it's like that, and uh, there's no one interested. So I do not want. Uh, I do not know whether I should speak so much about my situation. But uh, I understood the silent uh, university is much about refugees. So I wanted to give a few elements about uh, what it might be for a refugee uh, to to live in France. I have a little bit of uh, experience because I accompanied uh, a young man, uh, a Rom from uh, Kosovo. I'm actually uh, specializing on the situation in the Balkans and uh, on the situation of Roma in particular. Two years, um, so I accompanied him uh, through the asylum procedure. And um, I saw many things, but I think this was the worst I saw so far. Uh, I mean, I had to, to accompany him uh, to doctors, to administrative uh, procedures, and so on. Uh, I prepared uh, his case for the interview with the foreign office and then uh, his uh, court case. Um, despite the fact that this man, uh, he had his father killed uh, in Kosovo, most of his family lived Kosovo, uh, and in, in spite of the fact uh, that he is ill, he could not get asylum, and he did what so many asylum seekers do in France. He left. Uh, France again, but then uh, those who are asylum seekers here, they know it very well. You get caught in the Dublin procedure, being sent back, and so on. Um, yeah, so the, <laughs> I've got one minute. So the situation for asylum seekers is uh, many of them are left in a procedure which is taking two years. Uh, in this, uh, most of the people, they find themselves completely homeless. So only one third of the people, they get uh, actually a room, So which means that these people are completely destitute. So I believe that, so I understand very much. And for me personally, it's a, it's a big problem not being able to work. I feel like I do not exist anymore. Uh, but the most pressing need for asylum seekers actually in France is to survive, as hard as it might sound. This is an EU country. I feel that France is not respecting minimum standards for asylum seekers, but there is uh, there's no one uh, caring about it. 
mentioned already that uh, a lot of jobs are closed. Uh, so for those who managed uh, to do it, uh, unemployment among immigrants uh, from uh, non-European countries is much higher than uh, for French people. There is no integration policy. On the other hand, in France, they are strongly against communi communitarism. But in fact, the community could be, in this situation, the only help. There is no hope for change. Uh, France is going through an economic and political crisis. And uh, now for the EU elections, it seems that the Front National is in the first place um, uh, within the electorate. about the different ways you can stay updated and engaged with the work of the Refugee Study Centre, please visit www.rsc.ox.ac.uk forward slash connect.